the realization that I just need to put more effort into my thought patterns because as I was talking, I realized that I haven't been doing enough of that. It's just an ongoing process. Maybe I never will do just enough of it, but it's something that you need to keep putting effort into. Try this bad boy out for science. You are welcome to take a seat at the table where we use a new lens, where humanity are stakeholders. Different distinctions encouraged, intention starts from a no judgment zone. A certain age is not criteria, and where you become comfortable with the uncomfortable to facilitate a new conversation. Hey, my friend, we have not seen each other for a little while. Yes, it has been. Would you say about a couple of years? In person? Oh, yeah. so when was that? When was that? I was trying to think uh, just before I jumped on. When was the Six last time? I, launch that, I think it was before I signed up. It was a, one of the million dollar coach weekends, I think. Oh my gosh, that was a while ago because we haven't even run one of those for a long time. So, whew. well, it's good to see you're in the house. And is that guitar in the back because that's what you do in your spare time? It's what I hope to do in my spare time. Ah, it's an aspiration thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I do, I do play, but yeah. depending on who you ask, you know, some people will say, if you ask my wife, she'll probably say I don't. I'm kidding. I, I, <laughs> I can play. I can play three-chord songs and I can play, you know, open chords and stuff, but I bought this really expensive $3,000 guitar to learn how to play up and down the neck of the guitar and I never used it, so it's sitting in the cupboard. I need to get it out it's a beautiful fender stratocaster and i i need to start practicing and learning notes but that takes a lot of effort to graduate from open chords to playing notes up and down the neck of the guitar well firstly you can play more chords than i can so congratulations secondly great piece to have in your background so you know just use it as a piece in your background and you know makes a good background so i'm in for that it's an important part of my life and i do think that it really helps you to break patterns of thought when you're kind of feeling a bit stagnant so yes so I agree with that so tell me more about the thought thing what what's with the breaking patterns of thought well I think that we have a tendency to get into repetitive forms of thinking what is it about 90 95 percent of our thoughts are repetitive apparently mm-hmm. but when you engage different parts of your brain and specifically I do that by physically writing so i have a i bought one of these ipad pros the other day so that i can Ooh. physically handwrite and then that converts it to text so and you can get this cool thing called paper like that you put on top of the ipad which makes it a little bit more writer friendly mm. so that's one way to engage a different part of the brain to I love that really, yeah and, and there's something magical about seeing your words appear on the page as you think of them and that helps to get them to reflect back at you and you're able to come up with better insights, at least I am, than you would if you just had the thoughts rattling around in your brain. That's one thing. And playing a guitar is something similar but a little bit different in that I believe mm-hmm. it engages different parts of the brain. And if you do a MRI, it'll light up different parts of the brain and create more of a whole brain develop more of a whole brain capacity. So a lot of our thinking, you know, particularly if you're thinking along business lines and so on, 
tends to be left brain activity. Is it left brain or right brain? I can't remember. I think it's left brain activity. And playing an instrument activates more of the right brain, I believe, and therefore yes, creates yes. Correct. a brain experience. Yeah. Uh, I also think it creates space, and I think space is very important mm. to allow your subconscious mind to surface thoughts. So I interviewed Dr. Srini Pillay, who, who is or was the assistant professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School, and mm. he talked about the power of the unfocused mind and the importance of that. I think that was episode 142 and 143, but that is also something that is often overlooked by people in business, and they feel like you know, going at the problem full tilt 12 hours a day is a solution. And I think the solution sometimes is just take a walk, play the guitar, breathing, those sorts of things. They help to surface what your subconscious mind is already trying to offer you. I love that. All right. Just hold those thoughts because we are going deep already. And this is the conversation that I love having at this table. So just for those that may have just joined us on this, the decision table or the reason that I really wanted to get people on here every day was I didn't want this year to look exactly the same. I didn't want the results to be the same as last year. I don't know about you, but I really was glad to turn over the leaf into a new year. And, you know, one of the themes that I have for this year is to see humanity as stakeholders at the decision table. And for me, that means very much around I think that there is this need for a new approach to leadership. And so the way to sort of go, how do I keep shifting it forward? Knowing that every day something different is going to come from this, something I can build on what I'm learning, the insights that I have, and, you know, be more effective in the work that I get to do. I figured the best way to do this was to have new conversations every day. And so I think we're going to have a, a brilliant conversation today because already you've talked about just in the seconds of warming up of we began talking about a guitar and we went straight into some of the things that I think are a part of the new approach which is let's have a look at some of those patterns and disrupt it to new patterns right and you talked around our capacity our, and I think that that's an interesting thing on scale on playing at a different level is the capacity to which our brains our physical body our conscious, our unconscious can move towards a goal or goals. So I think that will be interesting to sort of dive down into more of as well. And I just think that, you know, in all that we do, we learn so much because it's a journey. Leadership's a journey and you're on a journey. I'm on a journey. And if we begin to think through different lenses, which is something that I'm strongly about, with the need for a new approach to leadership, I believe that part of that approach is that we are changing the lenses in which we use to make decisions. So let's let's dive back into patterns. Why are patterns to you important? Where's that come from? Well, I've done a lot of soul searching over the last 40 years. And one of the things that I've noticed about the human brain is that it is prone to patterns and that comes back to the physiology of the brain. So if you look at, you know, the, I don't know if you're familiar with the biopsychosocial framework that 
a lot of psychologists and psychiatrists talk about, that you've got the bio piece talks to the genetic makeup that you have and the propensities that you have genetically to think in certain ways. And then that then leads to your psychological makeup and your psychological habits, which is kind of part of what makes up the personality. Now, if you, for example, are somebody who is highly strung, like I am, and you have a propensity to get anxious, then Mm -hmm. your psychology and your reactions to things around you are going to be more skewed towards anxious reactions. And then, so that's a psychological piece. And then the social piece, the way it plays out in society, is Mm. if you behave in anxious ways, that has certain impacts on people around you and your environment, and that then reinforces your bio or, you know, it brings out more of your anxiety response and it becomes a vicious cycle. Now, the brain, more recent studies show that the brain is quite plastic or the neuroplasticity. Mm -hmm. So you repeated thought patterns start to form physical grooves apparently in the brain. Yes, So historically, you know, the the Freudian type thinkers would Mm. used to say that, you know, it all comes down to whether you were breastfed as a kid and whether, you know, you had a bad relationship with your mommy. And that partly is still true. I'm not saying there's no basis to it. But new research shows that behavior influences thought patterns as well. So if you can physically change your behavior, your psychology, and potentially your social, the social elements that change your environment, who you hang out with, that can actually reprogram your brain and create different grooves in the brain and thereby create different thought patterns and create a virtuous cycle. But what is required to make that shift I think are two things and they're related. Mm -hmm. And Seth Godin talked about this when I spoke to him recently. And that was, he used the words emotional labor. And I really like that. You need to put in the emotional labor to make that transition. It doesn't come for free. And the second thing, which is related, is that, you know, if you do enough of the emotional labor, it then becomes a habit, which is something James Clear and I talked about. And that actually helps you form grooves in your brain and over time creates a self a self-reinforcing mechanism which mm-hmm. then becomes a virtuous cycle but that transition is the challenging part and that's where you have to intervene consciously you have to make conscious choices and the only place you can do that is in the present moment the point of power is in the present so you need to say for this fi- next 5 seconds or this next 1 second i'm going to make a choice to not respond to my feelings, so to my emotions of anxiety by going, oh, no, and freaking out, but instead saying this anxiety is a signal for me to make a choice. And then you make the choice and you respond differently and that creates a whole different virtuous cycle. Easier said than done because I've been doing this for like 35 years and I'm still doing it. Yeah, love that. Do you know what? This is all based on a lot of the work that I do, which is all around patterns. So I love hearing your version of how that sort of plays out and, and the different learnings, say, from Seth. And then you mentioned someone else too. I don't James Clear, Atomic James, Habits. That's it. That's it. 
what I love about the whole pattern thing, if I even take that a step forward more, you know, I remember studying at school, not school, sorry, later on, I was in a, I was learning, actually, I was learning theological subjects and leadership and performing arts. I know, weird combination, but there was, there was, it was powerful. And one of the things that I know, and so when I was doing performing arts side of it, we were learning all about production and putting leads into things, uh, you know, soundboards and making sure that everything sounded right. And I often think that the brain's a bit like this, that sometimes, whether it's our environment, so you talked about that a little bit, our spaces, you know, our environments, our DNA, in other words, where it was already in, some things plugged in, right? And things like, you know, some of the other variables that you began to investigate in your conversation there, I think that that kind of puts them in a place. Now, that placing isn't going to necessarily get you where you want to go. Mm-hmm. So it can, it might have got you to what I call the old story. In other words, what has happened so far. But your starting point is from this moment onwards. And so those leads in your brain are wired to something. What if you could, and this became my fascination with my work, what if you could remove some of those leads but plug them into some of the other spots? Because I remember hearing, and I couldn't understand this, We have so many brain cells in our brain, yet we don't utilize them. What if we could start utilizing those brains, put those wires in, and a bit like in production, just take it out of there so we get a better sound and plug it into somewhere else? Or the lighting's not quite right. Talking about lighting, one of my lights out, so that's why I'm in this glaring light today. But one of the, you know, the leads aren't in the wrong place. So let's plug it in over there. Then when we have those leads in the right place, we actually get a beautiful result. And I was fascinated to go, how can we figure those things out? And that's where it's become. You put those leads, you get those leads right. In other words, we plug into the right pieces of us and it becomes our decision DNA and we can disrupt the pattern, which then creates the behaviors that we have. And then it gets different results at the table. And that's what all this work is about. That if, and and going back to what we're doing here, if we can create awareness of what are better ways to put those leads in, what are better choices to make, what are better things, more effective ways to actually work and collaborate together? How can we do this differently? And it's often because we don't know what we don't know But I absolutely think there's a responsibility when we do know to then own that and go, what part of that am I taking on board? What part of that am I going to wire to so that I get and gain from that insight that I've just got? Any thoughts around that? Yeah, I absolutely. I think it's a it's a great analogy. I mean, I don't know enough about how the brain works, but I love the Mm. idea of, you know, pulling out a lead from here and plugging in there and creating a different kind of sound. It kind of, you know, is the idea of experimenting. And to me, that is evolution, right? For the last however Mm -hmm. many million years, the universe and more specifically for us, the planet has been experimenting with itself and taking the path that produces ostensibly the best result. Let me, sorry, let me just back up something. What has been amazing about this and why it's so effective in this way is I've had people who have gone, I can't believe how quickly we were able to achieve what we needed to do. And I go, 
That's because I am not telling you what to do. I'm merely asking questions to see where maybe some of those wiring is wrong to what the result is that you want at the table, right? And I think if we can do that more, and part of this is, if we put it back into what we're talking about in lenses, that this is part of the lens. What if we actually go, I'm not sure what that could look like, and I'm not sure what the patterns are, but let's start creating some awareness around that. Then we can actually look at, well, here's a gap here. Hmm. If we were to look at that gap, what's a better way to do that, more effective way to do that and plug into that? So an example being that, you know, you you saw me when I was still on my stick because I, you know, I'd, I'd had a, it's almost 12 years to the day, by the way, that I had a fall and ended up in a wheelchair. Now, I was told I'd never walk again at that one year mark, right? But I knew that if this was a truth of the whole work that I do, that we have other brain cells that we can wire to, then I needed to find what that pathway was so that I can now rewire to that, change the behaviors that I was getting, and then get a different result. In other words, walk again. I am now walking again. I don't use a stick. That has only just happened in 2020. That was one of the bonuses of 2020 and, you know, is a continuous working at. Why? Because I had to look for a different wire to um, wire to and then a different pathway to go down. And I think if we can do that in different ways, we can actually change what is happening across the world right now. Have you seen the TV show 24? Is that the one like years ago, the 24 one? Is that yeah, what we're talking yeah. about? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yes. So yeah. there's a guy called Agent Aaron Pierce in that. Yes. And the dude who acts as Agent Aaron Pierce, his name is Glenn ah. Morshower. I've become friends with him over the last few days. Mm. And he dropped some amazing philosophical ideas. And something he shared was really powerful for me. Uh, he talked about how when he first went to audition for 24 or he first got the role, he had two episodes. They had him for two episodes. And when he signed the agreement, he said that I am not signing this agreement in my mind for two episodes. I'm not going to put that limit on even though I'm actually signing this agreement physically. Mm. And he did the role and they were about to finish up his second episode and he said to them, listen, don't kill off my character, which was the plan. He yes. said, you don't have to hire me for the remaining episodes. I'm not trying to get a job out of this. All I'm saying is I think that the character is too good a person for you to mm-hmm. kill off. So maybe have him go away somewhere or something, but just don't kill him off. And they revisited the whole situation and then he ended up in 24 for, I believe, seven seasons. So what he said was societally and, you know, our social environment has embedded certain ideas and norms and mores into our mind. And we just, without thinking, co-sign these agreements. But we don't have to. We don't have to accept what a doctor says is our fate Not that the doctor is trying to be in any way discouraging. Uh, Mm. I'm married to one and I think that most of them are are genuine, wonderful people. But they can only talk about things based on their understanding of science. And they would say this. Any decent doctor would tell you that science, by definition, is a limited 
body of work and mm -hmm. it is not conclusive. That doesn't mean you have to accept that. I'm not saying that you go out and you smell essential oils and you just, you know, heal a broken leg or something like that. And maybe that's possible too. I don't know. And maybe that's me co-signing. Many, many told me that it was possible by doing things like that. Yeah. but And I just want to say on my journey, it wasn't possible. <laughs> yeah. But what, I, but what I am saying is that, you know, these doctors are giving you a certain professional opinion, which is based totally. on a body of work and a period of intense study, which most other people haven't done, granted. Exactly. But yeah. that's what they know now. That doesn't mean that mm. that has to be your future. So all I'm saying is you don't have to close the door on these things, which eventually we, we turn into indictments yes. for ourselves. You can keep it open-ended. You can say, yes, it is their opinion that I won't be able to walk ever again, but I don't have to. By the way, they had. By the way, they had substantial backing up of research to say that in which what is, I had, and which is and a I finite, got that. Which I is a finite that. body of work that yeah. has been built over, say, what two, three hundred years. Mm -hmm. But the human species has been around for how long? You know, yeah, a million or so. I think I don't know. I think we need to take that in perspective. The other thing you got to take in perspective, they never met a Curie Marie uh, like me. And so, you know, I'm results orientated. I was not going to settle for that as a result. And, you know, as part of my work, that was really important for me to go, how do I get to my next level? What pathway do I need to go down this way yeah. now to be able to get that? And it's continued as I've done the journey. Then I, I think you bring up an, a really interesting, you know, thought there around and, and I think this happens a lot, even in leadership, where we are so stuck in a systemic way. So I always talk about this kind of the old way of leadership, the old way of thinking. And then this is kind of like we go, how can we do it in a new way? If we use what you're just thinking there, where it's sort of like that's not benefiting us. So, you know, there was no value in me staying with that thinking, even though there was a lot to prove that maybe that could be the result that, you know, what if I was to actually think differently and go beyond? Why do you think it's hard for people to get to that point? Why do you think we stay within systems or our conditioning and biases? You know, what, what do you think holds humanity back from moving forward on that? Well, I think we are fundamentally tribal creatures. Mm. This whole concept of civilization is a very recent development in human evolution until what was it 10,000 years ago we were running around in tribes there was no such thing as air travel so uh, true. you know so if a person from one continent wanted to and probably wanted to access another tribe from another continent it would take like three generations so yes. now that happens in what eight hours so mm -hmm. I, I believe at our core we are fundamentally still far less evolved than we would like to think we are. The mm -hmm. amygdala in the brain overrides our frontal lobe, the executive function, a lot more than we would like to believe it does. The only way to address that is to be making proactive, conscious choices about thoughts and be mindful, and this is why I think mm -hmm. mindfulness is very important, of thought patterns because often you're not catching the thought in the moment. But if you have reflection at the end of the day and you're physically handwriting and journaling what went well, what didn't go well, you might 
uncover or surface mm. some of those patterns, which then you have some time to reflect on and mm. then address at a pattern level. So I'm not proselytizing here because I am not a Buddhist. I was born into a Hindu family, but I'm agnostic. Mind you, you can be a Hindu and you can be an atheist. There's no conflict there, but that's another <laughs> long discussion. But what I, I love, love about Buddhism, which incidentally happens to be an offshoot of Hinduism, is that they have two or three principles. I can remember two of them. I can't remember the third one. One is called the theory of interdependence. And mm. it basically says that, that no individual person or event has completely independent arising. So everything has codependent arising. Uh, the I fact so that believe I, in that, yes. Yeah, so the fact that you and I are having this conversation is because of a combination of factors. You know, I met mm -hmm. Taki through James Schramko and, and on and on it goes. And, you know, it's every single event in our lives yeah. has led us to this, this event. So the theory of codependent and arising. And the, the second theory that I remember is the theory of impermanence, which basically says no object or event is permanent. Mm -hmm. So everything, you know, this too shall pass. Everything is, a, is in transience or is in a state of transition. And if we recognize those two facts, then we are less likely to cling to certain kinds of thinking and we're less likely to cling to certain patterns of behavior and see them for what they are. The other thing I think this helps us with is it helps us to cultivate a mental environment which enables us to be constantly examining ourselves and re-examining our thoughts and adapting to our environment. But if we don't have that mindfulness and that reflection and that space to be able to observe these patterns, not while they're happening, but almost from a distance in terms of, you know, at the end of the day, then we're unlikely to be able to change them. That said, if you can be mindful in each present moment, mm -hmm. Theoretically, then you can catch these patterns and you can change them and thereby cultivate your mental environment. I love what James Clear said to me about, you know, you don't plant a seed in the ground and then scream at it and tell it to grow. You can, mm. you have to water it, you got to nurture it, yes. but it will do what it's going to do. So another thing as a society, particularly in this instant gratification society we find ourselves in, we appear to be of the opinion in most cases that we can influence outcomes to a far greater degree than we can actually influence them. I believe that we may, as individuals, have maybe 10% at most capacity to influence an outcome because there are so many other factors that drive the outcome. But what we can influence is the environment that we create mm -hmm. to respond to those outcomes and the environment we create around the outcome we want to generate. But to think that you can just, you know, cram a business story from, I don't know, business from zero to $10 million in one month. Yeah, yeah, it's possible. And yes, you do need to believe that you can do it to be able to do it. But to feel disappointed if it doesn't happen is ludicrous because a lot of those things you can't control. You can only control yourself, which you should. Yes. Yeah. Oh, there's so much gold in what you've just been saying there. And one of the things that I think is really important, you know, in, in the business world, many say, you know, what is your business model? I never talk about business model. I talk about ecosystem. I think that it's really important that we are creating ecosystems, right? And that means that there are many different pathways that come from that. But the core stays the same and, and we just wire to different pathways on that road. 
And I, there's many reasons for that in the business world if we just go there for a second. And, the, you know, one of them is that if we just take the economy, right, challenges come along, the way that you've done it in the past maybe isn't going to work now that there's a pandemic that's just hit the world, right? Yeah. Example. And so if you have other pathways in which you can bring that in, you can actually increase that during the time when others are struggling. That is a whole different concept, but not the norm necessarily to how it was built in business before. Another example would be that I really believe that, you know, our thinking has to be coming from not telling. These are the three ways to do it, but through in giving, again, lenses in which we start asking questions so that we are actually learning from all the things as we evolve. And I think evolving in the past, if we take business again, in the past, it's been what are the proven, oh, this is a proven model, this is the proven strategies. I believe part of that is actually now that, and, and I've thought this for a long time, it just kind of comes into this whole need of a new approach, but that actually we are needing the evolution, like the evolving strategies, the evolving model, which for me is the ecosystem for a business, right? So this is where we can start like you're talking about, you know, you're creating an awareness around that. These are different ways in which we actually, I believe, this is why it is important to do it in a different way as we approach leadership. So any yeah, thoughts I, around I, that? Yeah, I totally agree. You know, the inductive mm. approach rather than the prescriptive approach. There's something I want to actually mention that probably may have sounded contradictory to someone who's listening or watching. I talked about the Glenn Morshower story, you know, the Aaron Pierce story about where he went in you know, do two episodes. And in his mind, he said, I'm not co-signing for two episodes. I'm keeping it open. Yes. Now, that may sound like he was trying to cram or force an outcome, but there is a subtle difference between that approach and the traditional Wall Street approach, which I have issues with, which is about being obsessed with outcomes and trying to control mm. the outcomes. And here's the difference. Having spoken to Glenn quite a lot over the last few days, I understand that his approach is he totally believes in the outcome that it's going to happen, but then he doesn't try to control the outcome. So he yes. envisions it, he believes it, but he doesn't attach himself to the results. He just gives himself completely yes. to the process once he's decided on the on the outcome that he wants to achieve. So he said, I didn't go to Hollywood to pursue a career. He said, I went to have a career, just like I wouldn't go to pursue dinner with you. I would go to have dinner with you because it's mm -hmm. a foregone conclusion in his mind. But if it doesn't happen, he is willing to accept that that was not how things were meant to play out and then continue to pursue, or mm. I hope this is the wrong word, but continue to commit to either that outcome or another outcome in each present moment. And I think this is where the present moment phrase becomes really important because if we bring down our thinking and our choices to present moments, it's a lot easier to make those choices in the present moments. And I learned this from a book I'd read many years ago by Wayne Dyer called Your Erroneous Zones, you know, making choices in each present moment. And on leadership, since this is about leadership, mm -hmm. you know, I wanted to say, and I was speaking to my wife, who's one of the most amazing people I've met in my life and one of my mentors. Wow. She said, we were talking about being a professional. And I think there's a leadership is 
similar to this. She said, you could be a surgeon and be, mm. be very unprofessional about it. Chances are you won't make it as a surgeon, but I'm just saying you could do anything. And, you know, she, she operates, she's a surgeon. You could, mm. you could be a surgeon and you could approach your attitude to performing that surgery could be that of a professional or your attitude could be that of, okay, you know, I'll just get the job done. I'll go through the motions. Yes. And the latter is not a professional or, in my opinion, a leader. Mm. And you could also be, you know, a garbage collector and you could do that to the best of your ability. And that is being a professional rather yes. than just going through the motions. So her point to me was professionalism is not a designation. It's an attitude. Mm -hmm. And I feel the same way about leadership. Leadership yeah. is not a position in a company because there's a lot of wankers who yep. are, you know, CEOs. And mm -hmm. I dealt with several of these in my corporate career. And I one of the reasons I decided to step away from it. So you can be a leader in your behaviours and it doesn't matter what your designation is. And this is why I tell my team, I, I see you guys as much as a leader of more of a leader in your job than I am. So you own it. It's your, you know, you take the leadership. Mm -hmm. It's a behavior. It's not a designation. Yeah, I love that. No, I really truthfully love that. And and that's where I think one of the fundamentals of being a great leader is making sure that we have leadership awareness. And then it's like, so thinking of pattern leadership awareness leadership ownership, then leadership change, and then leadership sustainability. Because what the decisions you're making, the decisions that you're making with your team, your team are making, are going to be building what is happening, not just in this generation, but the generations to come. And I think, I think that, you know, it's interesting, even when we talk in, in leadership, what is a leader? What, how does a, and there's so much thinking around that, but I love that. And that's what in the past, I think that we have gone, well, that's what a leader looks like. Well, I believe a leader can look like anything and everything right now. Like, yeah. but is that going to be beneficial to the result that you need to bring right now? And, and you can be a leader in this moment and not be a leader in the next. Interesting, huh? It comes down to, how you approach the situation yeah. are you going to behave like a leader or behave like a loser yeah correct so That's a very judgmental term but i'm uh, look there's no judgment at this table anything can come here anything can be said that's what these conversations are around like i really believe that we need to and this is part of, again of the need for a new approach is that we need to learn how to be comfortable with the uncomfortable. So even if we disagree, that it's actually okay to disagree and have a conversation. Like, I just want to know. I'm curious. I think that we have to be more curious in our conversations. And I'm just, I'm just deeply upset about a lot of decisions that have been made in the world, you know, around yeah. things like race. And, I mean, to me, mm. that is not leadership. So you know, tell me more about that. Well, I just think that people in positions of power have a responsibility. And yeah, I agree on that one. Unfortunately, they have a responsibility. And it's because mm -hmm. enough of us don't think for ourselves. Correct. And that then means that the people who are in positions of power have this unfair yeah, advantage over the others. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So then it behooves them to think and speak in ways that are responsible and not divisive. So to me that, you know, it falls on their shoulders. Yes. Maybe it shouldn't. I don't know. And maybe if more of us were able to think independently, it wouldn't. Mm -hmm. But 
you know, we have had some great leaders. I can see Michelle Obama's book in the background, and I think she's a great leader. Mm-hmm. And to me, she's as great a leader as Barack mm-hmm. Obama. Yes. She just ha- didn't have, have the designation of president, but I think she'd make a great president. Yes, so did I. I think, personally, personally, so did I. Think I. We, we need more, you know, gender equality in leadership, which is another issue which we can talk about for hours. But yeah. we've got too many dudes in leadership, in my opinion. There's too much testosterone. I'm not saying we don't need any of it, but mm. we need a balance of testosterone and estrogen running the country, running the planet. Mm-hmm. So that brings us back to the conversation, though. There are systems that have sort of encouraged these things to happen, right? Yeah. And how do we do that? How do we become more smart? How do we make more smart decisions? And how do we change some of these fundamentals? Well, I think it comes at the individual level, it comes down to making these changes in each present moment and becoming aware of our patterns, being willing to examine thought patterns and ideas that are in opposition to what we think. I think the Facebook and YouTube algorithms are responsible for a lot of these mm, things called absolutely. echo chamber, which Obama talked about. I don't know if you watched the first, this is the only one I've watched, uh, my next guest, David Letterman, interviewed Obama on his first episode. And this was years ago. And Obama said, my concern is the echo chambers. And he, I think, hit the nail on the head because what the algorithms are doing inadvertently, but the, what the algorithms are doing is they're feeding us more of what we really believe in and reinforcing yeah. our beliefs and thought patterns because that is what gets Google and Facebook more eyeballs for a longer period of time. So people are consuming more sensationalist content. People mm-hmm. are consuming more polarizing content. And we've seen an increase in nationalism around the world since yeah. these platforms have proliferated. A guy called Tristan Harris, an ex-Googler, has done some really important and good work around this. Uh, Mm. And I encourage anyone who's listening to or viewing to to check out his Mm. TEDx talk. But so how does one then challenge their confirmation bias, which these algorithms are just pouring down our throats? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, you have to go and seek the other side's opinion and seek to understand. So I am quite left-leaning in my thinking Mm -hmm. and, you know, I believe in public goods from an economic standpoint. I believe in high taxes and being able to take care of everyone in society Mm -hmm. because I believe not only is it the right thing to do, but it also is, in my opinion, economically more sustainable over the long term because you have lower crime rates, you have less misery, you have less poverty. And we are seeing capitalism eating itself in the non-social democracies. So Canada, Mm -hmm. Australia are social democracies and they appear to be fairly regulated and they appear to be working okay. Uh, There's still disparity, but it's not as vicious as we've seen in other countries, which then has a higher propensity for social unrest. Yeah. Oh, so much goodness in that. And by the way, I'm I'm in the middle of reading Barack's Obama's book right now. So my wife gave it to me for my birthday. I've got it. (laughs) So uh, yes, very interesting around the echo chambers side of it. And I think here's some of the a couple of things that I know that I am putting in place because I too see these as uh, you know very much as issues. One of them is okay. So if we are programmed almost to what we're hearing and then we build the patterns out of that I go 
now more than ever, these kind of conversations are so important. So I feel like that's part of, you know, how we can approach it in a different way is we need to have more of these conversations. We need to create spaces that are safe for us to have these conversations and they need to be in open spaces as well that others can have, you know, thinking. It's interesting that a lot of the time that I have guests on here, we don't get a lot of comments in the time that we're on here, but I can tell you behind the scenes, I get quite a few different comments or thoughts or, you know, that was so good. But I think we have to be willing to step up and voice our thinking And there's no right or wrong to that thinking. We've got to voice it and we've got to hear other voices at the table. And then we've got to go, okay, now that we know what we do know, what are we going to take from that and how are we going to keep shifting forward from that? And so I think conversations is so important right now. I think we need to have new conversations. I think we need to have uncomfortable conversations. And I think we need to invite many different distinctions to the table. I don't call I don't say diversity because I actually think that brings division when you think we're so oh. different. When we look through the lens and we realize that every single person that comes to a decision table is if we see first them as humanity as stakeholders at the decision table, I think that changes things. So you're first a human but you bring your distinctions to the table and I want those distinctions at the table. So sometimes because we don't think the same, we might do things differently. It can get pretty uncomfortable, right? But the only way that we can actually bring this together rather than divide it more, I believe, is by having part of that is by having these conversations and uncomfortable ones at times, right? Another one would be that so we have those conversations, we create this awareness But then it's like that ownership side of it. I think that there's a lot of, yes, people are making stupid decisions. Yes, it's we're in positions or systems or processes, pathways, which often are out of our control. There's variables to it. What is in our control? What can we do? And who are we going to come on this journey together? I think that the worst thing we can do is become these isolated islands. And more now than ever, I think we need to connect as humans and we need to go on that journey together as humans going, how can we join in more of a collaborative way to change and bring change that is much needed across the globe? Yeah. In episode 38, I talked to Rand Fishkin about kindness as a competitive advantage. Mm. And I think it's easy to say, but it's hard to do. Yeah, practicing kindness, practicing empathy, and seeking to understand the other person's point of view that is opposed to your point of view Mm. takes a lot of effort, but it creates empathy and it creates a space to have that dialogue you're talking about. Yes. But we have to make an extra effort now to seek out opposing viewpoints and trying to understand Mm. them because our environment, which increasingly is driven by these things, which are yeah. driven by algorithms, yes. are feeding us what we already believe to be true and are trying to reinforce those thought patterns that we talked about at the start of this mm. conversation. They're trying to dig those grooves deeper. And there are certain things you do want to create 
deeper grooves around and those are good habits and so on. But there are certain things you don't want to. You don't want to cling to extreme forms of thinking and radical forms of thinking because it doesn't serve you or the rest of the planet. The good news is that you are in full control of it. The bad news is that you are the only person that you can control when it comes to these things. (laughs) And at the end of the day, you can't influence other people. So if each one of us were to stop and examine things and try to seek the other person's perspective and seek to understand before they seek to be understood, Mm. that might diffuse a lot of tension that we're seeing in the world. And that might also allow us to create a slightly different environment to the environment we appear to be creating for ourselves, which is just this deeper and deeper bubble that we're just going into that reinforces our dogmatic views about things. 20 years ago, we didn't have this much confirmation bias coming at us because the tech world didn't have a say in what we saw. We could walk into a bookstore, we could browse a whole ton of books, and we might have happy accidents and discover books that are completely outside of our ingrained forms of thinking. Mm -hmm. So it is now, unfortunately, or fortunately, up to us to arrange our internal environment. And I love what James Clear said in episode 175. He said, if you want to watch less TV, Mm. just don't have your lounge facing the TV. Turn your lounge away from the TV. Yes. So if you want to control your behavior and your habits, you change your environment. TV. Totally get rid of the TV. Get rid of the right? TV, exactly. <laughs> His point, though, was that we seem to think that we can actually make choices more than we actually can, particularly yeah. towards the end of the day. So you want to eat less crap, don't have chips sitting in your pantry. Just don't buy them. The problem mm-hmm. is when you go to the supermarket, the problem isn't when it makes its way into your house. Yeah. So... If you want to watch less TV, have your lounge facing away from the TV or get rid of the TV, as you suggested. In the same way, if you want to think in less extreme ways and you want to be a real leader, then seek to understand all points of view, including yours, not only yours, Mm. and educate yourself on the other person's perspective. And to me, that comes down to practicing empathy and mindfulness. Yeah. It's hard so, to do. It's easy to say, but it's hard to do. I know. So I'm going to ask you the question, three things that you do to to do mindfulness. You've said mindfulness so much today. What are some of the three things that you make it easy for you to, to really put mindfulness as part of your DNA? So I use triggers. For me, I've developed the habit of putting into my calendar what I'm doing as often as I remember. So maybe every, say, couple of hours, I'll go into my calendar and I'll put in what I actually did in the last couple of hours. And that gives me a feel for how I'm actually spending my time. Uh, The other thing I do is I do the journaling thing. So that handwriting as opposed to typing, uh, that appears to engage a different part of my brain. And lately what I've been doing is going for walks without my phone which is extremely uncomfortable, but becomes quite extremely liberating after the first five or 10 minutes. And I now look forward to it. Now, meditation is something that is recommended. And I actually did that 10-day Vipassana Mm. meditation course, which is one of the hardest things I've done. But I am not someone who enjoys meditating. And Mm -hmm. maybe meditation is not to be enjoyed. It is something to be 
it is a practice <laughs> and I'm, I confess I'm not disciplined enough to practice it every day, yep. but I'm practicing, I'm starting with one breath a day. So I actually need okay. to nominate a time and place to do the one breath, just one, you know, a count of six in and a count of eight out. We can do it together now if you want, and we can get our listeners to sure. Let's start, start that process right now. So mm-hmm. all we need to do is just breathe in through the nose and breathe out through the nose, mm-hmm. but a count of six on the way in and a count of eight on the way out. And ideally you want to do three of those, which brings down anxiety levels. It, mm-hmm. I think, I can't remember the correct medical term, but it does something to your parasympathetic system and it, mm-hmm. you know, is believed to reduce your cortisol levels. Yeah, it takes it takes you out of the flight, right? Which is fight or flight it, syndrome, and it engages it, the executive, the frontal lobe of the brain, and the executive mm-hmm. function, and creates more capacity for making yes. choices in each present moment. Mm, love that. So let's do it. Okay, should we do one or three? You said three. Let's do three. Okay. Lead us away. Okay, so I'm just I'm not going to count out loud. I'm just going to count mm-hmm. in my mind and you can do the same yeah me too yep. six in and eight out mm-hmm. okay in Sorry, I forgot to say the out, <laughs> but I did my you know, three. You know what I find interesting? I find the in, absolutely. Like I do a lot of this anyway as part of my work, as in like just throughout the day. I've always done this. I, I think it comes back to my fitness days. I always found that breathing, you know, when you were doing exercises, there was a real importance of how you breathe. When I used to sing many years ago, behind the scenes, no, in the shower. No, just kidding. I used to, I mean, we we learned how to breathe from the diaphragm, right? And so breathing has always been a huge part of just a real, and I think it's interesting because there's a lot of breathing meditations. I know a lot of people who are into breathing. I think that we have to be careful that we don't just do what works for someone else with breathing. I think that breathing, you have to know your body and you have to really breathe into it. Then the more you can do that, the more powerful something like breathing is. But I have to say the breathing out, doing it for that long for me was quite difficult. The breathing in, oh, I could I could stay in that space for ages because I actually really enjoy that. And that's the, one of the things I really loved doing was free diving because you had to use your breathing to go into the water and hold your breath and then do that for as long as possible before you come back up again, right? Right, right. Yeah. You know, it's interesting since we did that exercise, I'm mm. noticing that I'm sitting up more straight. My shoulders are really Yeah. Back. I just uh, saw that when you said that, actually. And actually, you know, they, when you do a more traditional meditation, they'll mm. ask you to imagine a string sort of pulling the top of your yes. head and your spine straightening out. And all these things are very basic things, but mm. they're fundamental and they're important things to engage conscious mind mm. to engender or to create an internal environment that yeah. promotes the capacity for mindfulness mm. and empathy, 
which enables us as a species to function better. You know, we are interdependent creatures. We're not independent. Mm. We're not dependent. I think we're interdependent and we've lost sight of that. And we need to bring that back to the table. Yeah. Tania says, I start my day with this every day to reset throughout the day. So good. Okay. So by the way, if anyone wants to get hold of you, Ash, what's the best way to do it? My website is productiveinsights.com. That's I-N-S-I-G-H-T-S.com. So productiveinsights.com. And a good place to start, I think, would be the conversation with Seth Godin because he shared some really valuable ideas. And I'm I'm now proud to call him a friend. Mm. But I loved what he said about generosity. We were talking about marketing, but I think it was far more encompassing than that. I talked about empathy as a marketing tool. And you can find out more about that if you go to productiveinsights.com forward slash 200. And if you want to subscribe, you can just go to productiveinsights.com forward slash subscribe. You can get a whole ton of content there. And we're also on YouTube. Channel is called Productive Insights. So that's youtube.com forward slash Productive Insights. Yeah. Okay. So one of the things we talked about is creating an awareness. So part of having conversations, like I've said, is to create awareness. What have you got from today's conversation? What are you going to take from today's conversation? I think the realization that I just need to put more effort into my thought patterns because as I was talking, I didn't, I realized that I haven't been doing enough of that. And maybe I, it's just an ongoing process. Maybe I never will do just enough of it, but it's something that you need to keep putting effort into. I, I think that would be the one thing, you know, just practice more empathy and make better choices in each moment at an individual level and hopefully create better outcomes for the world and for myself. Mm, I love that. And I think the thing that I'm going to take from today was just the importance again of conversations, I, you know, as a solution. I, you know, you talked about the ecosystem chambers and you know, this is a huge problem and a huge challenge across the world. And I really, truly believe these conversations and even my little small team that I have, you know, we're on my back going, you know how we were going to have conversations as a wider thing platform to bring some experts in on that. By the way, I do it on the annual Global Human Intelligence Forum and it's so powerful. But to do that a little bit more frequent so that we can do things like this, have conversations like this, but as a few more that come on that table with us. And I I think today reminded me of the importance of why it's not just the fact that I think it's a good thing around conversations, because I do think it is. I think that it's so important and to, to have conversations around some of the things that you brought, racial tension stuff and, you know, uh, gender inequality. And there's so many more we can add to that table, right? So you reminded me of the importance of that as a, not just that I think it's important, but I, as a, this is one of the solutions I see as a new approach to leadership. And so I'm very thankful for that. I'm thankful for you coming on the table today and bringing, and bringing your goodness and going so willingly and so fast deep. For me, you know, it's always a a privilege to be able to speak with a person who is leading in his own sphere of influence. You're doing great things and what you're doing. But to actually hear behind the scenes of where is this thinking coming from? What is 
you know, what are you seeing to evolve and continue to grow? And we talked a lot about capacity today as well. And for me, it's like, what are you doing that's helping to build your capacity to be more effective and, you know, be a better influence out there in the world? So thank you so much for coming and being on here. Yeah, like, honestly, it's been a joy to have the conversation because I've learned so many beautiful things around your thinking. You know, I love the fact that we've started to unpack some more things on the table today. You know, and I hope that those that are listening, those that will listen to the replay will share this, will get the word out. I think, you know, one of the things that has come on every single conversation since I began doing these daily, since January the 1st, is the fact that we need more awareness. We need more awareness. Now, that is only going to happen if we keep sharing conversations like this, have more conversations like this, and that we realize that it's okay to think differently. It's okay to do it differently. And it's really okay to actually just listen and to say, I'm going to take that piece on and I'm going to leave that bit behind. Is there anything you want to leave everyone, anyone and everyone with? Yeah, I just want to say that, we have a lot more capacity for choice than we often realize, particularly in, envi- mm. in an environment where we're getting bombarded with messages from our phones. It's important to exercise that choice in each present moment, one moment at a time, Yeah. to do it consciously, to examine our beliefs and our values on a regular basis, and for each person to know that success and leadership is not something that's out there in the future. It is something that you do moment by moment by moment. So you are a success in this moment because you made choices Mm. to be a success in this moment. You're a leader in this moment. And if you don't make the right choices, you can cease to be a leader in the next moment. So you must understand that the present is the point of power and you must exercise choices as often as you can in each present moment. It sounds really easy. It is simple, but not easy, at least in my experience. I love that. All right. I think that's a beautiful way to end the decision table today. Such great insights. Thank you, Ashori. Amazing droplets of wisdom for you from today's episode. Make sure you subscribe, ensure you leave an awesome rating and review. Our hope is this podcast creates a new awareness, activates ownership to what is next, a curiosity for the need to be part of the change and to make footsteps of sustainability from today onwards. If you want to further your journey with us, then apply to join us at our next Leaders Movement Parlay. The link is in the show notes. We appreciate you. Help us to help build a tribe who make humanity as stakeholders. To achieve this together, recommend this podcast to leaders, innovators, and movement changers. Big love until we see you on the next Decision Table Series podcast episode.